0: To tonight's episode of the Tundra Cast. Uh, today is tonight's episode fifty-four, and I'm joined by a very special guest, Justin Bradford. He's the author of the book The Making of Smashville, and he is the host of Penalty Box Radio. What was it like writing the The Making of Smashville?
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting process. Uh, obviously, it happened uh, a while ago. Now, just when I think back uh, at the very beginning of the Peter Laviolette era with the Nashville Predators, so, I mean, even a, a coach ago, and was approached by the history press uh, to write a book um, on the the history of the, of the team because the team was obviously trending in the right direction uh, overall. Hockey was really growing in Nashville, and then you think just a couple years later they made that Stanley like Cup final run. But the process of it was was talking to the publisher and seeing exactly what they wanted in terms of the number of words, how they wanted pictures in it, um, what they wanted it to really cover, and then a full, basically a full year. It was a full year-long process of gathering interviews uh, and talking to people that are original members of the team, um, talking to coaches, previous ownership, uh, people in management, uh, current players and at the time, and it was, it was definitely a, a process. I mean, talking and, and getting interviews wherever I possibly could. Uh, so, for instance, was on a trip in, in Ontario, Canada, uh, over in London, and that's where I, in a hotel room I had to conduct an interview with Scott Walker, who was in Guelph at the time coaching. Or Jamie Allison, a former National Predator, uh, met him and his wife at a Tim Hortons just outside Toronto. Uh, and I conducted a, an interview for the book at a Tim Hortons. Or if it was bet- on the lunch break from my day job in my car in the parking lot, conducting an interview with Barry Trotz. <laughs> uh, that's, that was the, the, what it took to, to get the book done. And so it's obviously a lot of writing and planning, putting together the anecdotes and and finding some great people that were able to supply some pictures uh, for it as well and, and get those published. But, but yeah, it was it was a long process to to put it together to try, try to tell the story of the National Predators from before the inception of it, and why Nashville needed a hockey team to the point of where it's growing into being something competitive and not just an expansion team anymore, but something that is definitely ingrained within the sports culture of the South.
0: Yeah, I've I've been I've been really meaning to to pick it up. It's it's in my Amazon wish list right now. Just <laughs> not got just not gotten to it right <laughs> I mean, That that's a very funny thought uh just to kind of think about just just think of being like at tim hortons and all of a sudden they turn around and see you like hey i need an interview for this book
1: right <laughs> well we were able to organize it i mean but it was just one of those things that was the easiest thing to do uh is to just meet up at a tim hortons because it's down the street from their house and yeah i mean there's plenty of especially in that area of canada i mean there's plenty of former NHLers that lived there uh so it probably wasn't anything to them just to see a former nhl tough guy just have enjoying a coffee and being interviewed but it was it was definitely one of the most unique place to conduct an interview for the book was at a tim hortons that's for
0: sure <laughs> uh, definitely um so i guess i want to ask uh, how how did you get uh started at penalty box radio
1: sure so this was back in 2012 so right before the lockout uh, was obviously just a fan at the time, still had season tickets to the Predators, um, still only a few years out of college, and people could tell just on my Twitter and everything that I had pretty balanced takes, <laughs> they weren't too hot, and there was just some good information and sharing information just about the team of what I saw, and ended up being a co-host on a podcast, and then ended up being the host of that podcast, and it brought in um, my friend Big Ben. Um, who is who has passed on, and friend, Glenn Blackwell. And she's been with every since, pretty much ever since as well, too. And from there, we we built something to where we got picked up by 102.5 The Game. And we were going to be aired at midnight on 102.5 The Game, ESPN, uh, down here in Nashville. And we'd be live on Blog Talk Radio uh, for for 9 p.m. hour. So we'd record in the studio, and then they'd re-air it at midnight, uh, live on the air, and we, we came up with the name Penalty Box Radio for, for that, just trying to come up with something pretty quick so we can start a Facebook page and start a Twitter account and everything. We got picked up, and and PBR has stuck ever since. And so we we got the the live deal to, to be on the radio, but the lockout happened. And so we're supposed to be a, a one-hour radio show once a week that is going on ESPN radio in Nashville to talk about hockey, but the professional team wasn't playing. So that was a challenge in and of itself to to start right there that we had to find something to talk about because, hey, this is our big start to to be on the radio here, the real radio, not just Internet radio. So we we have to do something. And that was a blessing for us because it taught us about all different aspects of hockey. So we took some trips. We figured out there's lots of other hockey to talk about. We did a junior hockey trip to the OHL and, and saw four games in five days for the then Plymouth Whalers, the the Sarnia Sting. The Saginaw Spirit and the Windsor Spitfires, and went to those games and saw obviously plenty of prospects there. We did a little bit with with high school hockey, um, with local college hockey, like Vanderbilt University, their club hockey team. Um, took a trip down to Huntsville for the then D one uh, Huntsville the University of Alabama and Huntsville Chargers. Uh, also some minor league things. We got a little more involved in. in talking about the Milwaukee admirals as well so realize that there was more to the sport than just the top level at the NHL but realizing we wanted to try to build the game and grow the game uh, so that's what we did and ever since then that's what we've been about a penalty box radio is not just being about the predators and the NHL club but talking about other things in the sport to try to make more well-rounded fans and try to make people understand the sport of hockey is is way bigger than just one team and that they can follow it from there and, and, and fall in love with it just like we did
0: yeah, I, I think that's a very good thing because, you know, with how not only interwoven Nashville and Milwaukee are in terms of roster, a lot of fans decide to be fans of both teams. Like I'm I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm still in Wisconsin. So I grew mm-hmm. up watching the Admirals a lot. And so that's so I was just like, Well, I'll stick with the Predators since I, since I was an Admirals fan and so that's how I became a Predators fan. Sure so i think it's a it's a good way to just like sort of like turn on your your radio show and be able to you know not only listen to about the predators that you if you might not know much about them but to also hear about the admirals and you know other teams like you know what how prospects are doing in other leagues right. and such it it opens up a great not only not only does it make people more knowledgeable but it opens up a great understanding of every single league
1: Absolutely. And, and that's why we do it too, because one of the big things for us that we try to instill in, in our listeners and people that follow us is every year come the draft, pick one prospect from the NHL team you follow that got drafted and then follow their career because you never know what you're going to learn about that prospect or it's going to be really exciting because you follow them through their journey and it could be four or five years before they make their NHL debut but if you're following them through their college hockey career or their junior career or even through their minor league career in the E or the A that it's going to mean that much more to you as a fan when that player makes his NHL debut, because you've been following their journey the entire time. And it makes it so much more fun that way, because it's not like they're just surprising of, Oh yeah, cool. I, I know the young prospect, this is neat, but it's like, this is a big deal. I've been following him. Did you know he did this in the A or Hey, he was the leading score in the, in the E or in college, you're able to accomplish this and it's been a rough journey for them, but it makes you appreciate so much more when you're able to do that. So to all, to all your listeners, just one of those great things to do is pick one prospect that you just Know everything about in their career because it's going to make it that much more worthwhile when they make their debut and really make it a lot more fun for you too.
0: Yeah, I can I can speak sort of from experience of that because you know growing up watching the watching the Milwaukee Admirals and going to a lot of Milwaukee Admirals games, obviously I saw Philip Forsberg, Roman Yossi, right. Victor Arbutson, uh, you know all those guys down there. And so when I saw them first make their debuts in Nashville, I was like this is really cool to see. Like, (laughs) and even now, like I, I was thinking about, I'm like, man, Philip Forsberg is 10 goals away from breaking David or tying it, I guess his, his career goals record for Nashville. It feels like yesterday I was watching him just be insane with the admirals. (laughs) So it's just a very cool experience. like, obviously not everybody can, is like, right next to a AHL team like I am, or some fans might be. But if you can ever just go to, like, an AHL game or, or a game for not so much the NHL, but, you know, minor league games or junior games or, or college games, it's so fun. Uh, even if your team doesn't have any prospects on on that team, it's still fun to watch, and it gives you a good understanding of the game.
1: It It, it truly does, because... In the A, especially, you're going to get a mix of some of these wily vets that just enjoy playing the game. They're not doing it for the money, but they, they enjoy it and hoping maybe they get one last ride. And then these young prospects that are really trying to prove themselves. And it's interesting to see that how interwoven it can be. And obviously, Milwaukee's had his fair share of that, when, especially when Scott Ford was playing, uh, that he's, he's there playing with, with a bunch of these prospects and everything, too. But he obviously enjoys the game. You know, he's a coach for the Milwaukee Admirals, too. So you see just how much he loves it and how he loves Milwaukee, too, to to stick around and and be a coach as well. So that's what makes it really cool to see in the AHL because it's different types of of aspects of this game that you're seeing, too, because you have a lot of young guys trying to prove themselves but also trying to be a great team player. Uh, And you have coaches that are trying to prove themselves, maybe getting that next step. And then you have those wily veterans that are just enjoying the game and and they have fun doing it there and they understand where they're at in their career, too. Uh, but also just means a lot to them. So it's it's cool to see those aspects. Plus, minor league games, as everybody truly knows in any sport, whether it's baseball or hockey, they're truly fan-centric. They want to do everything they can to make it a fun experience for the people that are there in the stands watching the game and, and paying their hard-earned money to go and get a ticket to watch those games. So minor league games are some of the most fun you're going to have uh, in terms of fan experience because they're doing everything possible to make sure you have a good time.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I went to... I went to the Admirals game last night, where uh, Ingram had that forty-two save shutout. Yeah, big it win. Was, it was such a fun game to watch. uh it it was so fun to watch. He was making some crazy saves. Uh, uh, but I guess I guess sort of segueing from, I, you know, watching players grow throughout the years, it it seems like Philip Forsberg is way more than likely on pace to break the goal record. How soon, how soon do you think that'll happen? While he has been on this tremendous pace since he got back, how soon do you think he will break the record in?
1: I mean, he's getting so close. So, I mean, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to happen this season. On um, All things being equal that he stays healthy and, and things like that. So I, I can't see it not happening this season, with with where he's at, um, ten goals away, you think he's probably gonna have a couple multi goal games in there, and I would say there's a maybe a good chance that he could do it at home. Or can you imagine? Because looking at this, they still have Vancouver, Dallas, Winnipeg, Washington, Carolina, Florida, Dallas. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games for the Stadium Series. Can you imagine if he breaks the record at the Stadium Series game in front of? 67,000 hockey fans. That,
0: yeah, that would be insane. <laughs> he could even do it at the he could do it even at he could even do it at Pecorine's jersey or, retirement yeah, ceremony.
1: Or there any either, either of those two home games would be fantastic to have something that's, that's memorable and a franchise breaking record happen in, in either of those two crowds. But if he pulled it off the stadium series game, which is very feasible, uh given that it's at nine games away or sorry, eight games away, that's very feasible because all it takes is for him to have a couple of multi-goal games, even if he goes a game without scoring, a couple of multi-goal games, and he could absolutely do that. And that crowd obviously would go nuts yeah. uh, for him to set a new uh, franchise goals record to break David Leguan's record, or even tie it. Either one of those, tie mm-hmm. it or, or surpass it during one of those games would be pretty huge for him.
0: Oh, It would, it would be so awesome. I, I think it, for me, it'd be more awesome just to see that happen at Pekarene's jersey retirement ceremony mm-hmm. because it would be like two big milestones because you get the first jersey retirement and then you get the goal record broken on the same night. That'd just be so cool, but uh obviously both both of the games would be just phenomenal for it to happen. Uh you know, so I guess remaining on the topic of Philip Forsberg, you know, he's got a he's got a contract expiring and, you know, well obviously the predators have the cap space to to extend him and st- and such mm-hmm. do when do you believe that the national predators or more specifically david Poyle, will start having talks with philip forsberg on contract extensions
1: well they they've definitely been having talks and obviously not as much goes on during the season but and for sure David Poyle and Philip Forsberg's agent have been just in constant contact, I'm sure, as the season has progressed. Uh, and especially with how Forsberg's uh, performance has been when he returned from injury and when he returned from COVID protocol, that he's just not skipped a beat. You, you don't see any rust on him from missing a couple of games or from missing from injury as well, which is what you exactly want to see in, in a contract year. Or don't want to see if you want to sign him for a little bit less. But <laughs> what you, you want to see from him is that he, he's still healthy overall. He can come back from a minor injury. put on a great performance which he's absolutely been doing so they've obviously been talking i personally think this is not from any secure sources or anything but i think it's coming down to term and clauses because as we all know david poyle does not like including those no trade or no movement clauses but he he has to i mean they 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 got it in the matt duchene contract i believe there's a mod there's a modified one in the yossi contract that's going to kick in and he's going to have to for Forsberg. He's going to have to include some sort of no movement or no trade clause. But I really think the money's there. There's plenty of cap because they moved Arvidsson and moved Ellis that they can resign him because they got Ekholm done before the season started. They can sign him for pretty much probably whatever he wants and what he probably get in the open market. But it's going to come down to term, whether it's he wants a, a three or four year contract just to kind of get through the hump and maybe get another contract to close his career. Or he wants an eight year deal. <laughs> to, to close out his career. That'd be the career-ending type of deal, even though he probably could do a one or two year after that, depending on how he's feeling. So that's what I truly think it's coming down to, is term and clauses and not the money. I, I don't think money is an issue uh, for the Predators right now because they, they will have cap space for it, even though they're going to have to resign some other guys. But I think what bodes well, for this team right now and for Forsberg staying is their performance right now is that I think if they were kind of fluttering where a lot of us thought they would be, which is being the gray area, that it might not bode as well. But with the way this team's performing, with Matt Duchesne performing, uh, with Ryan Johansson up to snuff, with Mikael Granlund, and then Eustace Saros even as well too, plus some of these young guys with depth scoring, it's looking like the team could truly reopen, like fully reopen its window in maybe a year or two instead of waiting three or four years. And that's got to be pretty sexy to Philip Forsberg as well to think, oh, well, maybe there is a shot that I could win a cup in the next few years in Nashville because there looks like they're rebounding a little bit faster than everybody thought they would, too, with his performance. So I think all those factors are going into play. And obviously, the agent and David Poyle are utilizing all those factors in multiple ways to try to see what they can do to get a deal done, because I cannot imagine this team going through another Ryan Suter situation where they don't resign him they use him as their free agent pickup basically which is what they described Mikel grandland being and then hopefully he resigns in the, the offseason because he won't i just don't believe that he would resign in the offseason after that because of what could get thrown his way and get every single thing possible given to him by a team that's willing to do that uh they they have to get him resigned before the trade deadline they have to make sure that it gets done somehow
0: yeah i i agree that i think a lot of it's going to be Coming down to term and uh, clauses. And to be honest, Roman Yossi has a full no movement clause. Matt Duchesne has that modified no trade mm-hmm. clause that will start in two or three years, I think. Right. Uh, at least it's good that we know that Forsberg wants to stay and it's not <laughs> a situation where he wants out. At least it's good that he wants to stay. So honestly, I don't see how it could go wrong, barring like big injury or something. You know, right. just to give Forsberg sort of like a, you know, an eight by eight, with a no movement clause. Obviously, fans love Forsberg. You still get the production. It, it's not like it's bad, and, and we still have money to to re-sign him.
1: Oh yeah, and honestly, I I think it's probably looking at somewhere in terms of money. It's gonna have to be at least nine, just because of the way the NHL's trending. Um, And the argument's going to be, it's like, well, look at what the production that Philip Forsberg has compared to Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson over their tenure with the club. Uh, Even though those guys are performing way more to their contract right now, their overall time, especially Matt Duchesne, has not been there. So the agent really has a lot to push Poyle when it comes to money is that, hey, you can't be putting him at equal with with those two guys. He's definitely contributing more to this team. So that's what's going to be curious there, too, to see what they're going to do there, because that is going to be a lot of money in three guys for a long period of time. I know Johansson's up in twenty five, twenty six. It's just crazy to think that that's only four seasons away. But still, that's that's a long period of time to be paying three guys that much money. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see how that all plays out.
0: Yeah, uh, that that would be very curious. The the good news is is if we do give Forsberg around nine million dollars per year, we would still have because he's already on a six million dollar contract. That would be a th- million increase, we'd still have around $20 million in cap space. Mm -hmm. So that, that gives us a lot of flexibility. It's not like we used to be where we're just pressing on the ceiling, trying to squeeze, (laughs) trying to squeeze that extra dollar out. It, we have more, we have a lot more flexibility, you know, thanks to the Ellis and Arvidsson trade, which, uh, I guess I would kind of like to talk about next. Sure. Um, Obviously, in that Ryan Ellis trade, we got Cody Glass and Felipe Myers in return. Cody Glass has been pretty good in the AHL. Uh, you know, he obviously needed AHL time. We, You know, we won't, nobody's going to argue that he needed AHL time. But the what I would like to ask is Felipe Myers hasn't been exactly what anybody thought he was going to be when we trade for him. Mm-hmm. And especially he's got an, he's got an He's got a contract expiring. And honestly, with you know, Yossi, Fabro, Eckholm, Carrier, Benning, Borvietsky, and then everybody we have in the AHL right now, mm-hmm. do you think the Predators should try to move Felipe Myers to a like in a trade?
1: Well, see, I, I don't think there's much of a market for Felipe Myers. That's that's the problem too. And he hasn't definitely has not panned out where I think people kind of expected him to. And it's not like I don't think anyone thought he was going to be the replacement for Ryan Ellis because he certainly was not meant to be that. He was meant to be more the depth defenseman who, being his age, 25, could still work his way up and maybe play on the second pairing, but definitely is meant to be a third-pairing type of defenseman that helps recoup a little bit from losing Ryan Ellis. But he's only played 19 games this season, and that's not good enough. And I know it's been talked about with head coach John Hines to where – they basically have said that he's just not where he needs to be uh, for it. So it's been very curious given the rest of the defensive core. And, I mean, luckily they have not been playing Ben Harper as much because Ben Harper should be in the AHL, and he would flourish, I think, in the AHL. He does not need to be with the, the NHL squad. But obviously Mark Borowiecki, Matt Benning, been getting plenty. Uh, it's been, it was good to see Jeremy Davies getting another shot as well. And like you said, too, there's guys in Milwaukee. I mean, I think David Ference is going to get a good look next offseason. Uh, just like how Alex Carrier, he he was very patient. He bided his time. And next uh, last season, he took full advantage of it. And now, look, he's a solid NHL defenseman, uh, getting playing time with some really solid NHL players as well, too, and oftentimes playing with Roman Yossi. Uh, but I just don't think Philippe Myers is, is where he needs to be right now. And I just I don't think it would be anything more than like a seventh-round pick or future considerations for him. And so there's no sense in even trading him because you want that depth for the playoffs more than anything else. Uh, because what I think the Preds might – potentially do is go for if, if they're looking for a cheap other defenseman to add more to the depth because of what's happening with COVID protocol taxi squad and even injury potentially is add another veteran defenseman uh, potentially that's really cheap uh, that would be like a fourth or fifth round pick nothing really big like that because i think they're going to want depth if they're trying to make a playoff run too um, so i think philly myers is one of those guys that they maybe don't resign or if they see some potential they do but it just you can tell with him not getting much playing time that it's not panned out the way they expected uh, for him to be playing you think at least thirty plus games is where he should be at, but in nineteen games, it's nowhere where he needs to be for this team. and so I think the the move and the trade and looking at analyzing that trade, it's not necessarily did they replace everything it's did they recoup a little bit, but it was more did they get rid of salary cap and they did they got rid of cap in in trading Ellis and Cody Glass is one of those projects uh per se that obviously he is doing really well in the AHL. just needs to make that jump and He's had a couple opportunities at the AHL level, and the thing is he's still young, and that's okay. Dr. Reid can still potentially make that jump too as long as you see progress in what he's doing in Milwaukee, and you are. I mean, 27 points in 34 games, that's definitely some progress as well too for a Milwaukee team that's struggled a little bit more this season compared to the previous season they played uh, as well. So there's been some adjustment for him going into that too, but, but he's doing what he needs to be doing, which is continue to perform and being a setup guy with those 22 assists as well as well. So... You'll be curious to see how, how that goes as well, too, just because there's probably higher expectation for Myers, and they're just not seeing it right now.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's already a big thing when you have people like, uh, you know, Borvietsky, who's been great for Nashville this year, when there's good reason for a lot of fans to believe that, you know, maybe, maybe you don't re-sign him. You don't re-sign him because you have so many people in the AHL that, you know, kind of... you you might want to come up like like mm-hmm. Delgazio, like Ference, like you know, like Tennyson. There's just so much there's just so much on the Predators prospects and everything for the defensive side that it really seems like, you know, the Predators could flip Felipe Myers to a team that's in a you know, very big need of a defenseman like LA with how many injuries they've had to defensemen this year. To just try anything. <laughs> try anything just to get rid of that
1: right right i mean there's potential for sure it's just if they do then it's just because they're just cutting ties more than anything else yeah. like let's let's not even worry about just letting it expire We're just is we're done with you yeah. more than anything else <laughs>
0: it's just like no just just like i think maybe felipe myers could do with you know at least try him some more playing time but honestly i think maybe some time in the ahl would do him good Obviously, yeah, oh I agree. Obviously you don't want, you know, to send him down because, you know, you don't want to just be like, well, we got this guy for Ryan Ellis. Well, they're both in the AHL now because on paper and on the service level, that doesn't look great. But at the same right. time, obviously we were never gonna get another Ryan Ellis from that trade. It was more of just getting rid of salary. So obviously what's best for Felipe Myers is to get some AHL playing time
1: hmm
0: So maybe he goes down to the AHL, but I don't know how the Predators can get him going.
1: Other than playing time. That's pro- that's about it. Uh, <laughs> so it's gonna bar take another injury is what it seems like. And that you I mean you don't want that to happen. Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> uh but yeah, I mean I guess on to the to all of the just amazing young talent that the Predators have had this season and kind of feels like they've had the past couple seasons and that's really been the big thing for them. Um, Obviously, one of their best rookies, Tanner Janot, Mm -hmm. who is making a very good case on... Well, at least to a lot of Predators fans, he's making a very good case on his Calder legitimacy. But do you think that the NHL... And you know, writers in general will show Tanner Janos some Calder recognition.
1: That's a that's a good loaded question uh, right there. It's it's been curious to see how the rest of the league has responded to Tanner Janos kind of coming out party this season with showing that what he is, what type of player he is as a power forward too. It's very physical, but also can pop the the puck in the back of the net. And I think is if he continues to be fairly consistent with getting a goal here and there and continuing to to be very physical that he's he's he can't not talk about him uh if he continues that trend because he's been at the top of the of rookies in terms of goal scoring, not in points, but in terms of goal scoring, but he's doing that and accomplishing that without getting power play time. And that's huge because it means he's not playing protected minutes and getting points. He's playing against typically some of the the tougher opponents. He's playing usually on the bottom six or even on the the bottom line. And so he's having to start in the defensive zone way more than any other rookie. And that right there is putting him at um, the the bottom half of the potential to score when you're having to start in the defensive zone all the time as well. So all those little things start creeping in when you start seeing what he's able to perform. But when you see highlight real goals from Trevor Zegris or you see what Maureen Sider's able to do uh, with Detroit um and if those are Lucas Raymond it's it's going to make it difficult for him to win but he absolutely should be in the discussion 100% because of what he's been able to do with what he's been given or anything else and i think he's he's getting closer because some of these mock awards now at the half season mark have come out and obviously he wasn't in the top 3 but he was in the others receiving votes like so basically he's finishing fourth so it shows he's still trying to push his way into the conversation but if he continues on the progression where he's at and Maybe he surpasses 20 goals this season. It's going to be extremely difficult to not include him in that conversation, where as a rookie, he could potentially be at the 20-goal mark. And it's very doable. He's at 13 right now with just under 41 games left to go. He could absolutely pass the 20-goal mark and potentially get to pass the 40-point mark, which would be really good for a bottom six forward that doesn't get power play time to pass 40 points for the Natural Predators. That'd be pretty impressive, and it'd be really hard to not include him in any sort of discussion for Rookie of the Year.
0: Yeah, I think this is the hardest year for, for obviously, anybody to get the Calder because you have the, the human highlight reel known as Trevor Zegris. <laughs> you have Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond just being inhuman and, and doing everything. And then you have Tanner know, who will not only score on you, but he will also make you have to visit the dentist. He's, he spends... He's, He's, he somehow gets no power play time, spends a lot of time in his own end and spends a lot of time in the penalty box, yet has the most goals and honestly is one of the is one of the better and best offensive production men for the Predators this season.
1: Right. Yeah, and he paves the way for so many guys as well too by being able to be physical because he is a player that other teams have to prepare for now. That's that's the thing. They have to prepare for him and his presence on the ice and be aware of where he's at. And it's not like he's a dirty player. You just have to be aware of his physicality because he's going to be able to plow the road to make room for other passing lanes or shooting lanes to open up. Plus, he has some speed. I mean, he's pretty fast for a big dude uh, as well because he did plenty of breakouts and breakaway opportunities as well just coming out of the box. So that's what makes him a special player because he has some intangibles out there too by being able to be a power forward that can hit you as well as score on you because that's the evolution of the power forward and of the guy that can throw punches is that they are not just out there throwing punches they're scoring. And that makes it really dangerous and hard to prepare for.
0: Yeah. You just, it's the one thing you don't want to see as a defenseman is a giant freight train coming at you. (laughs) Choo choo. He's either, he's either going to run you over or he's going to put the puck behind your goaltender. Right.
1: You decide which
0: one's worse. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's been a very defining aspect of the Predators this season is just big physical guys who, and even guys who aren't even big, but are willing to just, you know, block shots, you know, throw punches, throw hits. And it's not like any of our players are explicitly dirty. The, the most underhanded player we have is Nick Cousins, and that's just because he's kind of a pest. But <laughs> but but everybody loves pests to an extent as long as they aren't dirty or anything. Everybody just likes that guy that can get under skin, because it's honestly funny, especially when you just right. start annoying someone. That's that's fun to watch, but it's just guys who are just willing to lay it all on the line, just to just to get that one blocked shot.
1: Yeah, it's it's they have guys that are willing to be difficult to play against and pester and. That's what the team's been trying to angle towards the past two seasons is to be more difficult to play against. We, we've said it how many times, The John Hines said it how many times, players said it how many times it would be more difficult to play against. And then they they find this diamond in Tanner Janot, an undrafted player, and are able to get him signed and bring him in. He's been part of that. But then you also add like, like Nick Cousins, adding him in. Then you have someone that's been through the system with the Predators, Yakov Trenin as well, who is a freight train out there, the way he skates like a tank. But then you have other guys like Colton Sissons, who's difficult to play against. Luke Cunning has also been out there, being able to mix it up. You have plenty of guys in the team, not even including Mark Borowski or Matt Benning. Who Borowiecki just doesn't give a crap who you are. He's going to go after you and, and take care of business. But they're all being—they're all willing to sacrifice their bodies a little bit to be difficult to play against, and that's the the difference of this team and the swagger that they have this season compared to the previous two seasons is they do have a swagger about them that they're mixing it up a little bit. And we, we all know even some of the star players that they can use their body and be difficult to play against if they choose to. Ryan Johansson can, can be a puck possession king because of his, his arm span and, and his big body and when he chooses to be. And when he chooses to be, that's a different level. Same thing with Philip Forsberg. We've seen what he's able to do. We saw what he did uh, against Vegas. And what what he did, and when he was able to chip the puck to himself and get his way around the defender and pop the puck in, it was beautiful because he used the physicality of his body to get around, and that's that's difficult to play against too. It's not just grinding in the corners and the difficult areas or any other cliche statement. It's it's what are they able to do to make it difficult with their physicality and using their bodies uh, for the betterment of the team. And and so many guys in this team do that now, and you didn't see that happening that much before.
0: Yeah, I think I think obviously, well, with we have like a lot of. Even the bigger like forwards that we that you want to be point producers, you know, are very good at handling puck. Obviously, Philip Forsberg has just magic hands and is able to somehow control the puck no matter what. And then you have Ryan Johansson, who when he wants to be, he can just just hold off everybody. And I I'm pretty sure in a quote he once said he had long orangutan arms. Uh, <laughs> I think so, but yeah. I think a big defining moment for the Predators that gave me just like the most hope when watching this team so far this season is when I saw Mikael Grandland, who you wouldn't expect to be laying down to block shots or anything. When I saw him fly from his, from the other end of the ice, the offensive zone to the defensive zone and block a shot without even thinking. And that was just mm-hmm. like, it's just shows the kind of character that this team has that, you know, even if, you know, they might get injured, they're still going to just, lay in front of the puck and block it for Soros.
1: yeah and that's what you see it's that different type of swagger that this team has right now too that um you can tell the locker room is different and it was needed and it's not saying that either any person was a locker room cancer or anything like that they just needed a a kick in the pants uh to, to to change the attitude and change the feel and the makeup of the team to have some young guys pushing them and they've truly needed that and they've talked about that plenty of times too is how they needed that extra push and they needed people out there that weren't lazy that we're going to push the older guys to get better. And not that Mikael Grandin was ever playing lazy, but you can tell there's that extra oomph of swagger out there and just energy when you see him making plays like that too. You know, he's definitely finding his comfort zone. It took a while, but he shows he belongs to this team. And he's a difference maker on this team. And there's a reason why he wears the A now too.
0: Yeah. I think, I think giving him the A was the correct move. Obviously, not seeing Ryan Johansson with it is a bit weird. It's a bit odd to see after so long. But right. Mikael Granlin was definitely deserving of it, even though like it seemed for a long while that we might not even sign him again, but it was definitely the right. right it was definitely the right move. Um and I'm glad that we signed him for more than just one year because with this type right. of year it would have been it would have been <laughs> very difficult to get him re-signed. Um, But, yeah, the Predators have been extremely successful this season. Uh, What do you think that the Predators need to stay successful and and stay winning?
1: I mean, more than anything, it's just keep doing what they're doing right now, which is being extremely competitive, playing physical hockey, uh, being creative out there as well, maintaining their, their places where they are in special teams, which is top 10 in the power play and top half in the penalty kill. Those are, those are extremely important, too, especially in the playoffs, is you have your special teams at least be average. That was what they struggled with for so long, was having a power play that was at least league average. I mean, you don't have to necessarily be in the top, but to be league average is very important, and the difference it could make with how many one-goal games they, they probably lost last year, um, and what difference it could make in, in, in any year as well, too, especially come playoff time, to be good at special teams. So we're seeing creativity on the power play. We're seeing a solid penalty kill effort right now. Usosaros obviously, is going to be the guy that if they're going to be any sort of successful, as it has been for like the past decade, it's going to start in the crease. And if they're strong in the crease, they have a chance to win every single game. And Usosaros has been playing that way uh, last season, where he basically dragged them into the playoffs and said, No, we're going, uh, as well as this year to where he has been solid for them and giving them a chance to win every single game that he's in after what a slow start of two games, basically, he's been solid uh, so far this season. So He's got to be impeccable. Um, And then Philip Forsberg continues on his pace. Matt Duchesne continues as well. This team is extremely competitive right now. And I'm not saying that they should be a cup favorite or anything like that, but they can be trouble for a team in the playoffs because they're playing without much to lose. And I say that because the expectations weren't there, and when they can play like that without expectations, it helps keep that mentally off your mind that they're not expected to go in the cup. They can can have fun. They can just play hockey and do that. And then the other thing is keep using the young guys. Make sure the prospects are getting ice time. Keep building them up to make sure that they're going to be successful. Call guys up from Milwaukee when you can and give them opportunities because the only way this team is going to be successful is if they have a good mix of, of veterans Guys that are signed to like two or three year deals and those guys and ELCs that can play outside of their contract at their wits in and just overproduce from their contract. That's You see every Stanley Cup team win, that wins pretty much has that mix of guys in all three levels, whereas the Predators had a bunch of veterans on contracts and a couple of those middle contracts where so they didn't have many guys that were young and ELCs. You got to have some of those guys to have good some, some good proper balance, and I think they're well on their way there too. I mean, they they showed some really good signs of progression uh, over this over this season and even last off season that they're willing to make some moves to to try to get better and rebuild on the fly, and it's going a little bit faster than I think anybody w- w- thought it was going to go.
0: Yeah, uh, especially with how the roster's been. I mean, the only thing that I really have a problem with is you know not trying to hold anything against Michael McCarron, but I think Thomas Novak was doing a lot better. On that fourth line with Thomas, and Cousins, obviously McCarran's been a good option down there too. But, I, but I think if you just want a little bit more offensive production, you go back with Novak. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Predators didn't have any expectations this year, and that makes and teams without expectations or anything to lose are scary.
1: They are. They very much are, and that they could be the team that maybe doesn't win the cup, but they could, you know, get a good win in the first round and surprise people. Um, and that's, that's what's scary. Like you said, th- those are the types of teams that can be very scary to play against because you could have one other team completely overlooking them. And then all of a sudden, bam, they beat you in a series. you like, yeah. how do we get here?
0: <laughs> it's sort of like in 2017 when we became the first eighth seed yes. to, su- to sweep a one seed. Absolutely. You know, obviously the predators are always, ha- I've always had the underdog mentality in my opinion, at least. I mean, even when we won the President's Trophy, we still didn't even, it, we still didn't feel like a powerhouse to me. It felt kind of like, right? It felt kind of like they shouldn't be this good, but they just are. And I feel like, I feel like that's what the Predators should just own. Obviously, they're underdogs again this year. No one was expecting much of them at all. I mean, a lot of people are just expecting us to be bottom barrel in our division, right there with Arizona. But. Obviously this Predators team came in with no expectations and came in with a big chip on their shoulder. And that's a team that you really got to look out for because it's the teams with zero expectations and something to prove and teams that are angry or have a chip on the shoulder. That's dangerous to play against.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And so that's where you, you hope they kind of continue to fly under the radar from other teams that they can continue that on as they, as they pace towards the end of the season, because um, there's there's all the games in hand as well, too. It's gonna be interesting to see how the the standings fluctuate So as long as the Predators can can continue to be competitive and string some wins together They're gonna be right there in the mix and if they can get out of there without being a wild card That would be pretty big for them to not have to, to worry about that especially with potential travel uh, to to the West Coast if they could get out of the first round with only going to maybe Minnesota Colorado's still a little bit of a haul but nowhere near as bad as going to like Vegas or something like that uh would be very helpful for them that's for sure.
0: Yeah, uh for sure. Another question I have is we picked David Riddick up to be our backup because Connor Ingram was a bit of a iffy uh choice after, you know, just getting out of the player assistance program. He sort of lost sort of his game and was having sort of trouble getting it back with the Chicago Wolves last year so it made sense to sign David Riddick however Connor Ingram has gotten his game back and at this point it's becoming undeniable um, <laughs> I'll just read up a little bit of stats so this past week he's played three games he's got a 3-0 and 3-0 and 0 record a 0.33 goals against average a nine eight nine save percentage with two shutouts and in the month of January he's 7-1-1 and a 1.97 goals against average and a 0.937 save percentage with three shutouts. Do you think that at any point maybe during the season, they're just like, we can't keep him down.
1: I don't think that's going to happen this season, but I think, and, and David Poyles addressed this as well too. The goal going into this season was to have Connor Ingram as the backup, but as you mentioned, the player assistance program, and they want to make sure he was he was he was good that he felt that he was in a good place. They had to adjust, and they brought in David Riddick. And Riddick overall has been has been especially for backup, he's been all right. I mean, you, you don't expect too much more out of a backup goaltender, especially when they knew they were going to ride Yusuf Saros the way they're going to. I don't think they're at a point, barring some complete breakdown from Riddick, that they're going to make the switch midseason um there could be the case that depending on how things go near the end of the season uh depending on when the admirals finish up and things like that where they're at to obviously bring him in as taxi squad member or something of that sort but next season it's going to be connor ingram's backup role like it's it's set up they were basically just on a, a one-year delay <laughs> like oh no there's a little bit of snow we're going to delay by two hours that's basically what this is oh no we got a delay by by one season but ingram this is going to be yours it's it's going to be his net to be the backup next season, and that's fully the intended plan. I think it's good for him to gain the confidence this season in Milwaukee to come in fresh and and battle a little bit, but know that he's coming in off a really good performance with the Admirals this season, and to come in fresh to be the backup. Um, I just I, I can't see that happening barring injury or some complete um, breakdown uh, by by David Riddick, which I don't think will happen just because he's he's been in this role plenty of times for so many different teams from being starter for a little bit or to be in a backup. Um, he's, he's not going to play many more games. He's played seven so far. Uh, he started six of those. I can't see Riddick getting anywhere close to the 20 game mark. No, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yeah,
0: that's been my opinion with, uh, with Riddick and Ingram. Like obviously Ingram has been amazing, but unless, unless, unless Ingram has, a month where he literally gives up zero goals I do not see a switch being made right because you have you have Riddick who obviously you don't really want to move from because he's been he's been okay uh, but you obviously don't want to make Ingram go up just to not play just like exactly Riddick. you just don't want to bring him up and be like now you're gonna watch- have him sit <laughs> yeah now you're gonna watch Soros real quick right for the rest of the year. So you obviously you don't want that, but it's definitely his job next year.
1: Yes. Uh, Absolutely.
0: But it's just very good to see him get his swagger back after after the player assistance program. It's definitely good to see him be him again in the AHL, and hopefully this means that we'll be having a very good backup goaltender for for next year.
1: Oh, one hundred percent, and it's just—it's always funny to think back of they got him for a seventh round pick. Like That's just what's so great. because Tampa Bay gave up on him, and Nashville's like, "Oh, no, we'll take him." And you can just see how much he's flourished, and even through dealing with 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 the player assistance program and going through those struggles and the challenges that he faced, he's been able to push through them uh, and see where where he he wanted to be, where he where he needs to be, which is playing really, really, really well.
0: <laughs> yeah. It. He- it kind of reminds me of in in baseball. You know the rule is don't trade with the Tampa Bay Rays. You're gonna lose. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't give Nashville a goaltender.
1: Right, they're gonna make something <laughs> out of him. <laughs> just,
0: just don't do it.
1: If you see right. a,
0: if you see a goaltender come out of nowhere and is really good, you're gonna you're gonna find a trace back to Nashville somewhere.
1: Right. <laughs> For instance,
0: with Carl Vomelka.
1: Oh yes, yes. Yeah, he never
0: played with us, but he was drafted by us, so he does have that tie.
1: Yes, it's that's funny because one of those things that kind of that name disappeared for a while, and all of a sudden, wait, I remember that name.
0: Yeah, that that happened to me when I first saw his name. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I've seen this name before. Where have I seen it? And I was just trying to think of everywhere I could put it, and then I was like, screw it, I'll just look it up. I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, we drafted this guy. Right. Oh, right.
1: He was part of the Preds.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just like, "Oh, there's him with the Preds jersey on." Right. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, obviously, I think John John Hines' contract ends the season, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, when when could you see him extend, and for how much and how long?
1: Well, I mean, it's 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 difficult to say how much just because they don't make as much of that information public as they do with players and everything. But I think it's one of those things they'd probably go for, I'd say, a three-year deal again with him because they see what he's, he's been able to do now. And I think what we're seeing now is what John Hines wanted. I mean, he it's weird to think that he's been with the Preds organization for two seasons, but this is going to be the first full season <laughs> for him and I say two two and a half seasons because of the way the 2020 ended up, he comes in, he takes over Peter Laviolette, coaches for a month and a half, and they go on shutdown for four months. They go into a bubble and finish the season, which was very short for the Preds, and a huge delay again, have a very shortened training camp and a shortened season. Then finally this year, he has an actual full training camp, and now we're seeing – the fruits of him actually getting a full training camp to build more of a roster of he, what he wants, which is the team that we're seeing right now. So I think he's proven himself to right now be a good coach for the National Predators and a good fit because of some of the young players and his his um, recent abilities to develop young talent with how he worked with with Team USA before as well, with World Juniors, and just working with lots of prospects as well in the way he's come up in the system. He, I mean, he played college hockey too, so he understands how important development is so, I mean, it's one of those things that I would think if, with coaches, you you don't have as much rush to get that done. But I'd say somewhere before the se- – either right at the end of the regular season or right after playoffs are done is when I would think an announcement would come. And I do think he'll, he'll be sticking around. I don't think they're going to say, oh, no, we have somebody better. Unless some random occurrence happens where a Stanley Cup winning coach that is still in their prime becomes available, I think John Hines is going to be here for a few more years.
0: Yeah, and – Honestly, he's been a very good coach for Nashville. I mean, obviously, this is his first full season at the helm under Nashville. And obviously, I'll admit it, I was not for the hiring. Uh, I wasn't for the hiring. I was very against John Hines. But I got to admit, I have to admit that he's been very good. Obviously, his roster moves and his, you know, roster handling is very unorthodox, right (laughs) sometimes and just very like why are you doing this please stop but (laughs) but he's been very good and i think and i do think he's the right fit for nashville because he obviously has demanded you know a certain level of physicality and excellence of his of his players and and obviously i think i think he's a lot better in peter laviolette in the respect in the aspect of Peter Laviolette never seemed to get too emotional behind the bench, but then you have John Hines, who will literally just start screaming at a ref for no reason, which can amp up the players and, and makes it makes it not only very entertaining to watch as as a fan, but also you know does do a very good job of amping up the players. So I think that's another way he's been very good for us.
1: Yeah, and and with Peter Laviolette it's it's kind of been the thing for him too is that he gets a lot out of players very early on and it's this the trend which is an okay trend to have because it typically means a Stanley Cup championship or at least a run uh in some couple really good years. He gets a lot out of a team and then it pooters out the message kind of wears off. And that's okay because that's you bring him in to be the closer. And that's what's happened with with multiple times with Peter Laviolette. You bring him in to be a closer to, to win you a championship or at least make a big run and then it wears off whereas i think john hines you see him what he's able to do especially as a younger coach um how he's developing younger players proving that physicality like you said and just pushing a little bit more but i think it's going to help with development to have his background because peter Laviolette was not a developer he needed star players and you see when the predators had star players going like a pk suban and you have roman you philip forsberg all those guys rolling, and even ryan johansson in the playoffs you're able to roll pretty well by having all those guys playing to their top performance level uh, in the playoffs. That's how they want to make that run as an eighth seed, is they were able to click it at the right time with Peter LaViolette under the helm. You could see that happening. I mean, when they lost to San Jose in the playoffs, you could see, okay, next year they're going to be back here or make another run. And not as many folks were confident, obviously, when they were coming in as the eighth seed, but you could still see all the elements there for it. And then all of a sudden it just clicked and then it happened, whereas here is more of a, a long haul type of project where they should be able to beat a team down. And that's where I think they could win a series, um, in a best of seven, because they if they're the more physical team, you could wear another team down and just get some timely goals, and that's where Sarles again is gonna become very important and that depth scoring is gonna have to be key.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a big toe was last year against Carolina, where we took two games from them, which wasn't very much expected from us. Right especially with who we were missing around that time due to injury and stuff. So it wasn't very expected of us, but I think Nashville is definitely a great team to maybe not make a full like Cinderella run, but definitely at least to make a bit of noise in the playoffs.
1: Sure. They absolutely could. Yes. I th-
0: I think that's all I have.
1: All right. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Appreciate
0: you asking me. Uh, tonight's episode of TundraCast, I hope you enjoyed it. And I would like to wish a very big thank you to Justin Bradley.